and welcome back to the business growth advantage. Now, if you're like a lot of the business owners that I've been talking to lately, there's this question or recommendation that comes up of, should I write a book for my business? Or have you thought about writing a book to help you grow your business? And so I'm very, very excited today to be joined with Ken Thompson Pinder. She calls herself the extraordinary word ninja. Did I get that right, Kim? Yes, you did. So good. Kim is going to be helping us walk through what this means, why it would be a really good idea for you to consider this, and mistakes to avoid along the way if you do decide to go down the direction of writing a book with your business. Kim, before we dive into all of your insider secrets and best strategies around this, one of the things that becomes very clear when people get to know you is that you are very savvy as a business owner, as a marketer, and you likely could have developed a a way of helping people in a number of different ways. What is it about books and helping business owners write and and market and sell based on their books that really drew you to it? Well, you probably asked me this a little bit later, but it actually goes back to my story. So would you be okay if I told my story at this point? I, I think that will answer the question. So my story starts at four years old when my mother passes away. And that was a really rough time in my life. And I'm really thankful, though. I don't have one of these sob stories where my mother dies and I grew up with this drunk, abusive father. Okay, my dad was amazing. When my mother died, quite a few people said, David, you should give the girls, my sister and I, up for adoption. There's no way a man can raise girls. And my dad, in language that I I never use, but he basically told everyone to either help him or take a flying leap because he was raising his girls. I had a great dad and I'm so thankful for him. And he passed almost 20 years ago now, but he did everything for us. And if he couldn't figure it out, he'd ask for help or he'd send me to one of my aunts. You know, being a girl, there was just things that he really did not know how to deal with. So he had his support system around. But as great as my dad was, he wasn't a mom. And my little girl heart craved for a mom. And in grade two, I had this beautiful, wonderful, kind, talented teacher. And I wanted her to be my mom. I'd go home and dream that my dad would marry her and she would come and she would take care of me. I don't even know if she's married. She was young. I don't know if she had kids on her own, but I was emotionally needy and I clung to this woman. In grade two, another thing happened. I could finally write the words. I've always had this humongous imagination. 
But in grade two, I could finally write down the stories that I had been imagining for as long as I could remember. The first time I wrote out a story and, you know, you walk up to your teacher and you hand it to your teacher and she looked at it and she told me how much she loved it. Well, that was all this seven-year-old grieving heart needed. And I started to write and write and write and write and write and write. I was handling her piles of pages every single day. One day she looked at me and she said, Kim, stop writing. You're not a good writer. Of course, my seven-year-old little heart was crushed. And I didn't write again for 30 years. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I got honors in high school in English. So I wrote, but I didn't write the things on my heart. I didn't write the stories I wanted to tell. I didn't write about the things I wanted to teach about because I have this humongous teacher's heart. And so time goes by and I get married. I've got kids. I become an entrepreneur. And then back in 2011, I had an opportunity to get a website. Now, back then you could create your own website, but it was not easy. I had an opportunity for someone to do a website for me. I was so excited. I had wanted my own website for a long time. Didn't really think things through, just wanted a website. And I remember the gentleman emailed me and he said, Kim, your website's almost ready. We just have to set up your blog. So I Hmm. emailed him back. What's a blog? I had been reading (laughs) them for a while, but I didn't know that's what they were called. I just remember the first few words of the email he sent back. He said, hey, Kim, you have to write. I don't remember what it said after that. And in that moment, I was in a God-inspired crossroads in my life. Because all of a sudden, those words had been in my subconscious for a long time, but I didn't really know they were there. I just always had this sense, oh, don't write. But I had never examined it. But all of a sudden, it was like, you're not a good writer. Stop writing. Mm -hmm. I was in that moment yeah, and I knew it. I could feel the conflict within myself. There was part of me wanting to get out and write. And then there was this huge part screaming at me, don't write, don't write. You're not a good writer. And I'm going, okay, where did that come from? And as I thought about it, the memories opened up. And I remember my grade two teacher saying that to me. Now, here I am, I'm 40 years old. And what do I do with all of this? And so I took some time, prayed about it. I thought about it and I came to a couple of conclusions. And I think this is really important for anyone who's had those powerful negative words spoken over them, the words that are holding them back. Yeah. And before you continue, Kim, I just, I really want to zoom in on what you just said and people leaning into this because as an entrepreneur, I can relate to this kind of vocation that you have as a business owner, being inspired by you overcoming something that was told about you in your past. Mm -hmm. And you over, so I think that I just want to highlight that most business owners can relate Mm -hmm. and be resonated by this idea of, yeah, this thing came back to me. So with that being said, and that stage being set, continue. Okay. So there was two things. First of all, I took responsibility for my actions. I recognized the fact that I emotionally overwhelmed this poor lady. So I realized that she said that to me, not because she meant it, but because Mm. she didn't know how to deal with me. Like I said, I don't know if she was married. I don't know if she had kids, 
But I can pretty well guarantee you back in the late 60s and early 70s, when she would have gone to teacher's college, they did not have a course on how do you deal with seven-year-old grieving little girls' hearts. That would not have been in the curriculum. Yeah. So I recognized that I overwhelmed this woman and she said it to me, probably not because she meant it, because she just didn't know how to get me to stop. Yeah. So I took responsibility for that. The next step is I forgave her. And in forgiving her, I chose to let those words go. But once you do that, you have to take action. So what was the next action for me? I wrote my first blog post. It took me three days. Back then, I wrote everything out by hand, then typed it in the computer. I promise you, that is a long, drawn-out process. Just learn how to type. (laughs) Okay, but I had 50 to 60 crumpled pieces of paper (laughs) for a one-page blog post. But I remember I finally got it done. I put it up on the website, and then I took that next step of faith, and I had some people read it. And everyone told me what I had written had meant how it had taught them things and how they had learned something new. Well, that was all this 40 something year old heart needed. And I started writing more and more and more. And then came the books. Now that is a long drawn out story. I'm not going to go into today, but needless to say, I had no money for courses. So everything was five and seven and $25 courses to answer one question. And of Mm. course with you writing a book, There is a lot of questions and my computer almost went out the window. I don't know how many times in frustration. Now my husband's a computer guru. He probably would have divorced me if I threw the computer out the window. So that was not an option, but I came within a hair's breadth so many times and not writing that first book. And your first book was? I was in network marketing at the time. So I wrote a book. It was called Network Marketing Recruiting, 50 Mm. low free and low cost ways to find customers and recruits. Because I wanted, my heart was always to help. Yeah. And at that point I was in network marketing. So I wrote books about network marketing to help people grow their network marketing businesses. And within a year of that, I wrote two or three more. I did some planners up for it. I had done quite a bit. But the funny thing was what changed in me after writing that first book. See, I had been sharing my knowledge freely with people for quite a while. But after I wrote the first three books, I was at our provincial conference and all of a sudden I was the center of attention. I'd been sharing the same knowledge I had put in these books mm-hmm. freely with anyone. But now all of a sudden, because I had written the books, when I went to that conference, I was the center of attention. People wanted the books. They wanted to come up and thank me for what they had learned through those books. And I actually started a coaching business, which I had no intentions of doing because people were asking me to teach and train me all because I had written the book. And this is all before you got started with your business now. Yep. I was just, but something changed and it was people's perception of me changed because my knowledge had not changed. Mm. but the perception had that went on I I end up coaching people things like that 2015 hits and it's an expensive year my son's getting married wonderful it was a great thing I love my daughter in love there's no law between us Mm. where she's my daughter in love but it was expensive and we also had two cars we were driving by faith so I don't know if you've ever driven a car by faith before but that's where it's no longer repairable and you do not have the money to replace it 
So you get in that vehicle, you pray you make it to where you're going mm. to go. You do what you need to do and you pray you make it back home again. I went on a freelancing site to get some graphic design works done. So I'm very creative, words, music. I'm a crafter, but do not ask me to draw. I can barely draw a straight line with a ruler. It is not in my wheelhouse of talents. And when I was on this website, another God-inspired moment, I just heard God kind of say to me, you should check out writing jobs. Okay. Started looking at writing jobs. I'm like, they pay that? Oh, I could so do that. And so I actually fell into publishing as a way just to earn some extra money. I started out as a ghostwriter on freelancing sites. But within a year, I had so much business coming in. I had people requesting editing and formatting and cover designs. And because I had to learn how to do everything myself to do my own books. Remember, I had no money to either pay or learn expensive courses. I had to figure everything out the hard way. I could offer all of these services. So within a year, I had formed RTI Publishing. Now, at that point, mm -hmm. I was just taking whatever jobs were handed to me. Okay. So here's a lesson in entrepreneurship. In the beginning, a lot of times you take on all these jobs. It took me a year and a half to realize there was a lot of these jobs I just did not want to do. So that's when I really sat down and I started to think, who was it that I wanted to work with? Who brought me joy? What jobs made me happy? What jobs did not make me happy? And I can guarantee you in those first couple of years, there was quite a few jobs that did not make me happy. Okay, they brought in money, but the stress of them. And so by the beginning of 2017, I realized who I really wanted to work with. I wanted to work with entrepreneurs. Yeah. I, I'd been an entrepreneur for a very long time. They were my heart. I wanted to see them really get out there. And I knew that the books have power to yeah. not only give you credibility, but as a way of getting your message out there, as a way of getting your story out there. Now, I've got clients in several different ranges. So I have clients whose their books are mostly stories, the story of their life with lessons throughout. Mm -hmm. Okay, So you could check out books by Sherry Lewick. My skeletons have names. This woman grew up in an extremely abusive home, married three narcissistic men who abused her. The fourth guy she was with, she wasn't married with, almost killed her. Her children were involved in a terrorist attack. She was addicted to drug and alcohol. She was homeless at the age of 17. I joke with her that she's got more lives than a cat because she should have been dead so many times. So her book is mostly story. But then towards the end of the book, she shares not only how she survived, but how she's learned to thrive. So, you know. Okay, so that's more of a story-based approach. And is she also a business owner? Much. Yeah, she's a business okay. owner. Okay, she's so the messaging there, the marketing of the book is to help her grow her business. So there is a way of writing a book that's more story-based like that. And then yeah. you said there were other two other types? Yeah. So then on the other end, you have books that are more teaching. So okay. specific topics. So if you can see behind me there, you can see Revenue Growth Engine and Selling from the Heart. Now, those books are predominantly teaching, but they use the person's story throughout as examples of how things are done. So that's right. the other end, right, mm -hmm. of nonfiction books. And then there's sort of the middle, which okay. is a combination. There's a lot of story and there's a lot of teaching. And if you see the sport of life there, that's by Canadian Olympic coach Ram Nair. 
His is a combination of the two. His kind of sits in the middle ground. There's a lot of the story, but he uses the story to teach a lot of lessons and things throughout. So there are different ways to write your book and still use it to build your business. Out of those three, is one more common or tends to be more recommended by you than the others? No, because every book is customized to our clients, to their needs, and to who they are. Okay. As a ghostwriter, now we're a full-scale publishing company, okay, but we ghostwrite our clients' books. It's got to be a combination of two things. It's got to be a combination of the client's voice and something that is well-written. So if who they are is more about their story, in the case of Sherry Lewick and then another lady, Nin Rifit, she grew up in Pakistan. She married a very rich man who abused her. She had to escape to the United States with her two boys because her husband was going to kill her. Her story is the message. Mm. In some cases, your story is the message. In other cases, your story supports your message. Right. Selling from the heart, Larry Levine, he's a sales professional who wants to teach people to be authentic and not be salesy and not have commission breath and not be an empty suit. So you've got this good suit on the outside and nothing on the inside, right? right? So his story confirms the message, but the message itself is what is really powerful. So again, it's customized, depends on who you are, you know, what you've done who you want to reach out to. About how many books do you have under your your company's belt, Kim, with all of the different clients? Only about 200, 200 plus. I've kind of lost track, to be honest. That is that is fascinating. And, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but I want to let everyone know that that Kim is up to some pretty big accomplishments in the near future for her business. So anybody who might be thinking, oh, this would be great to have in more of a course format or a group program. I hear that that stuff is coming. And for anybody who really wants an easy next step on this, your newest book, Author to Authority, can really help people with this as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So when we talk about Author to Authority, we're talking about authority marketing. How do you position yourself as that credible expert? Now, you do not have to be an author to use authority marketing. And there's six key building blocks of authority marketing. You have marketing, sales, communication, network, social media, and then ultimately promotion. So that's the bigger stuff like television, radio, getting on the bigger podcast stages, all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things that you can do to build authority without being an author. But what I can tell you is that if you want to do it 10 times faster, write a book. And is it the, I'm going to ask this question because I've seen it kind of done in two ways. Mm-hmm. One is that people will work on a book, whether it's privately or with mm-hmm. a company like yours. And then once it gets published, they go crazy with the marketing, the sales and everything. And others will use the fact that they're writing a book as a strong part of marketing, messaging, yep. getting podcaster or, or conference mm-hmm. organizers attention. Do you go in a particular lane there in terms of recommendations for your clients? Oh, right from the beginning, start telling people about your book. Yeah, even before it's written or before it's, yeah, you know, published. Do you mind if I share a story? Please do. Okay, so there's a friend of mine. Now, this happened to her before I met her. She had contracted hepatitis C as a child from a blood transfusion. 
Mm. Back then, they didn't know what hepatitis C was. And then she actually didn't know about it until she was in adulthood. So mm. she had had it for years and years and years. And when they diagnosed her, they didn't even know what hepatitis C was. They just diagnosed her with non-AB hepatitis. Okay. So she had to learn how to deal with this. Now they actually have things that can actually heal the body. But back then there wasn't. Mm. So she learned a lot of natural ways and lifestyle choices that would help her successfully navigate hepatitis C and be able to live a good life. And she had decided to write a book about it just to help other people. She had no intentions of, she didn't want the book to be big. She just wanted to help people. So that's why she wrote the book. But while she was writing the book, she was just so excited about it. She started telling all these people about mm. writing this book. Well, there was a hepatitis conference in Canada, in Toronto, which is the biggest city in Canada. And she managed to get on the stage. She hadn't even finished writing the book yet. But because she could prove that she was writing the book, she, she sent them parts of the book and that. She got on the stage and was allowed to speak. And there were doctors who wanted to get on that stage. And they let her on the stage because she was writing the book and these doctors had not. Mm. That's such a powerful statement to just leaning into this even before things are finished and saying, I'm working on a book, here's what it's about. Which leads me to another question of when you say yes to this commitment to working on a book, where do you recommend people start first? Is it the book title? Is it chapter one? Is it the conclusion? So the first thing that you need to decide, and for some people, okay, so Larry Levine, Selling from the Heart, that was already his brand, everything else, that was easy, mm. right? The Sport of Life, that we worked on that for quite a long time. I don't think we really nailed down the title till about three quarters of the way through the book. So no, okay. you do not need to have a title. Here's what you need to have if you're writing a book to promote your business, okay? Right. You have to know who your client is. Mm. You have to know who that target market is that you want to reach. One of those days you can make it the better your book is going to be. Yeah. Okay. You have to be able to understand and know the problems that target market is facing that you can solve. Because how else do you position yourself? You see, when you can understand your target market better than they can understand themselves, they will see you as the expert. Even if you don't have all the solutions, just the fact that you know them better than they do is impressive. Can you give any examples or do any examples just come really easily top of mind for you for your clients who have niched down or conversations yeah. that you've had with them and decisions they've had to make? Yeah, well, let's just take my author to authority book, for example. I had mm. to really think through what was the biggest problem that my clients were facing and the biggest problem was visibility it's i don't know if you're old enough to remember the show cheers but norm would walk in everyone go norm yeah. right well if nobody knows who you are you don't have a business it's all about the visibility so back a few years ago well probably around 2015 2016 i was at a conference and to be honest, I wasn't too big on the guy speaking and he just spent most of the day pushing my buttons. Like he wasn't talking to me specifically. He was talking to everyone. But what sure. he was saying was massively pushing my buttons. Mm. But one of the things he said was true because you see, he published books for his clients as well. And even though 
I had better services. My pricing was maybe a third of what his pricing was. Everyone flocked to him and paid for services that they did not need from a gentleman who's not very honest or reputable. And he brought in two to $300,000 in a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Why? He was the one standing on the stage and I wasn't. He was the one who was visible. So if you want to massively expand your business, expand your visibility. I love that. And I want to zoom in on this. It might sound for, for all of you viewers and listeners, like I'm changing the subject here, but I talked with Kim before we went live. We talked about how when you work on a book and then you sell the book, it's hard, if not impossible, to make those costs up through book sales directly. But as business owners, the book can lead to other types of sales that we can make where really we get the ROI there. Can you speak some more to that? Because I know that ties with this idea of visibility and using that visibility, not just to get book sales, but to help your business in other ways. I actually recommend my clients give away their books. Mm. So think of it this way. Think of your book as either your lead magnet or your lost leader. So if you've ever gone, if you've ever seen an advertisement, let's say a flyer came from your favorite store and something that you've wanted for a while is on a ridiculously low price, like lower than you've ever seen it. So you go into the store and you get that. Now, how often do you go in and you just buy that one thing? Very rarely. Okay. That's what's called a loss leader. So they intentionally lose money on that one product, knowing that when you go into the store, you're going to buy a whole lot more, which yeah. makes up for what they lost. Okay. okay. So people think, give my book away. That costs a lot of money. Yeah, I can. But think of it this way. So let's say you have a $2,000 product. Now, what if you could send something to someone very targeted who you know would be a good potential client for yours and it costs you 20 bucks, but it opened up the door for you to be able to convert that person. It's just like a broken ATM machine, right? Yeah. I've had people say, well, you're willing to send me a book. Doesn't that cost you money? I said, yeah, about 20 bucks. Sure. Between the cost of the book and shipping around $20, you are a person of influence and I know you want to read this book. And I'm willing to invest this book in you. I'm willing to invest that $20 in you because I know that A, if you enjoy the book, you're going to tell others about it. But B, if you enjoy the book and you're ahead of a group, now that opens up opportunities for me because that book proves I'm the credible expert that I am. So when I now approach that person and say, hey, would you be willing to allow me to do a free training for your group? What do you think that person's going to say? Worse. I mean, you got to do something because they just gave you a free book. Now, I do want to ask you too, I'm thinking about your own book and also your clients and how you help them with this. I totally am on board and love that you bring up this idea of of giving the book away because of the number of different ways that that can come back to help you later. Mm -hmm. In terms of giving the book away, do you still default to giving that physical copy away or are, are you and your clients starting to shift more towards giving like PDFs or the Kindle version away. You can do both, but shipping a physical book is powerful. So think about this. It is almost sacrilegious 
to throw at a book. People will cart totes and boxes of books from house to house to house because you cannot throw out books. Right. So when you ship someone that physical copy, you might not see results right away. They might not read it, but I guarantee you it's sitting on their bookshelf. And eventually one day they're going to pick that thing up. That's really well said. And in a similar vein, the idea of business owners writing books is starting to become more popular. And, and we're starting to now see a, a wide variety of not just what type of book is it, going back to what you said earlier about is it highly stories-based, highly teaching or somewhere in between, but just the sheer length of it. Is this more of a booklet? Is it closer to that 200, 300 pages? Is it hardcover? Do you tend to help people write the longer kind of hardcoverable books? Yes. And is there, it sounds to me like you don't get as much of that unwillingness to throw it away factor if they get it in a hardcover. Yeah. Or even paperback. Okay. And the thing is too, think about this. See, if you're the authority in your niche, one of the things about being authorities is you can afford to be generous. Yeah. You can also afford to make an impression. And when you meet someone and you tell them that you are going to ship them a book, you're not going to charge them anything for it. And then that book arrives at their door. What do you think the impression is? I mean, it's very polished, right? The idea is that you're a big deal. That goes back to that perception that you said earlier. Another question that I have around the book side of things is we are seeing more and more people, especially business owners with something like a podcast. And I, I don't mean to fault anyone here but it's something that we're seeing more of. How can I just repurpose past content into a book? Do you have any tips or concerns or things that you just like to say about business owners who might be going in that direction of how can I just repurpose content that I've already created into a book? I think you can, but I think the book, see the outline of your book is really important. Because your outline has to be able to address the problems that your clients are facing. You also want to include stories like there's so much more than just throwing some repurposed content together. Yeah. Right. Now, can you use that repurposed content as information? Most definitely. My clients send me on a regular basis, LinkedIn articles, podcasts, blogs they've written. It's supplemental material mm -hmm. to help us write strong chapters. Gotcha. But that content is, we don't just take that content and repurpose it. it. It is used as a basis. We transform it. It is rewritten. It gives, gives us additional ideas. But I don't think a book is powerful if you just take content and throw it together. Now, would that work as a lead magnet? Yeah, probably. If you want to do a PDF lessons from my podcast type thing, and you share the lessons learned from your podcast and you make it a nice 40, 50 page book and each thing is a different podcast and what they learn. That's a great lead magnet. <laughs> if you want like just a PDF to give away, help grow your email list, that kind of stuff is good. But if you're using this as the book, your signature book, the one that you become known by, yeah. you see selling from the heart, revenue growth engine, the sport of life. Those men are known for their books. Olympic coach Ram Nair, he travels the world and people know him by that book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When he says his name, they're like, oh, you wrote the sport of life, right? Larry Levine, oh, selling from the heart. 
you want your signature book has to be powerful. It can't be something you just slap together. It has to be very thought out, very methodical. It has to be logic. Like there's just so many pieces to writing a good, solid signature book that's going to change people's lives. I love that. And again, I'm trying to come up with the best questions that I can ask you, Kim, to really help the people who are watching live, watching the replay or listening to this on the podcast. I know from talking with you previously that not only do you have great clients that you've worked with in the past, we've talked about how you've probably helped write hundreds of books, but you also, your company has a really comprehensive way of helping people do this. I'm curious, when you get a new client and they have all of these to-do items around writing a book, from writing the book itself to something like the cover to various publishers and editors, is that all done in-house with you? Or does there tend to be some vendors that you work with or some partners that you kind of point them to or will recommend? Everything's done in-house. That's awesome. Writing, editing, formatting, proofreading, cover design, getting that up on Amazon. What categories do you pick? What keywords do you use? We do all of that. We have a complete package that takes you from, I have an idea, I want to write the book. And Mm -hmm. then once you've gone through the process with me, you have a finished published book in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. That's amazing. And how long does it usually take from client reaching out to you saying, I want to write a book to, I guess, first the book being written and then being published? Usually nine to 18 months. And a lot of that depends on the client. Sure. So here's some things that have happened. We've had clients who have had serious family things happen. So they had to pause their book. Okay, we get it. Sometimes health things happen. You have to pause your book. Okay, you get it, right? And then when they're ready, we get back again. So the other thing that happens, and this happens consistently in just about every single client that we've had, is you hit the lull. You hit about chapter four or five, and all of a sudden the reality of the book hits you. And it's like all of a sudden you realize you're pregnant for the first time. And then may the scope of this thing, it's almost like having a child, right? Like, yeah. and, and they go into that, oh, imposter syndrome, all that other kind of stuff just kind of hits around the middle of the book. So we give them a little break and we let them sit and think about it for a little bit. It's like, okay. Yep. Now you're ready to move on. I have good discussions with them. We have lots of talks and it's like, okay, you ready? Let's pick it up back to work again. Right? Mm -hmm. So everyone goes through that. When the reality of your book is coming alive, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And all of a sudden you're like, do I really want this thing to go out into the world? Am I ready to parent this child? Am I ready for the world to see my baby? Well, and that brings me to maybe one of my last questions here of how do you know when it's ready? It brings me back to, to college and law school, looking at drafts of a paper and being like, I know when I turn this in, if I look at this Word doc again, I'll notice some typos. But when am I just going to force myself to hit send? So first of all, get out of your head that your book has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as a perfect book. Let's just say we based a book on grammar. Okay. Between Canada, the U.S. and England and Australia, there's probably at least eight different forms of grammar. The United States has two or three. Canada has a couple. And then the other countries have theirs as well. Yeah. So grammatically, you will never have a perfect book. That's only grammatically. Wow. So one of the things, one of the terms I use with my clients is analysis paralysis. Sure. 
where you analyze it, you analyze it, you change it, you change it, you try to make it perfect. It's never going to be perfect. So I always tell my clients, the goal is not perfection. The goal is to get an amazing, good, solid book that's about 90 to 95%. Mm. And, so and is there, I'm sorry, Kim, is there a page length that you tend to shoot for? Like Most of our books are between book? 100 to 200 pages. Okay. And it depends on the reading level. So if you're more of a general public, that reading level is grade six. We're going to probably keep it to 100, 150 pages. If your target market's more educated, then probably 150 to 200 pages. Oh, that's we smart. Find, I think about it. We find once you start getting over 200 to 300 pages, unless it's very specific, people tend to get bogged down and they don't tend to finish the book. So mm. we keep it within that 100 to 200 page range. Okay. And I just, I ask that for a few reasons, but one is I think sometimes people who want to write a book feel like they have to hit 200 pages in order to even like have a hardcover book. So it's possible to have a book in like the 100 to 150 page range yeah. that can still be made into hardcover. Well, I, I have to, or no. I have to double check that because Amazon just brought out hardcover. So hardcover is different than paperback. Okay. Most of my clients just use paperback. They don't oh, use hardcover. Okay. okay. First of all, hardcover is expensive. Sure. And there is an impression factor, but it's not as much needed. Now, let's say your target market was CEOs, then you need to have hardcover. Okay? Ah, okay. But if you're talking more of a general public, a paperback is, a well-done paperback is just as impressive as, as a hardcover. And it's probably about the third of the cost. Okay. And so is it fair to take that language that you just said? Again, I'm just asking this out of curiosity to just use that B2B versus B2C type language. So if your business is more of a business to business type of a service, then that's really more of a having a CEO kind mm -hmm. of reader audience versus if you're in more of the B2C space, then your audience would be more of the you know general public. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even in the B2B, you would only really send that hardcover to CEOs of bigger companies and stuff like that, right? Because that's what you would need to do to impress them. Mm. It's expected, right? Yeah. So you got to look at your target market as well. But paperback, all of my clients, they do have some hardcover that they send to the really high up clients. but and they're, and they're moms. Yeah, <laughs> they're moms. But everyone else sends out paperbacks and that's fine. Okay, great. Well, this was super helpful and clarifying. We'll make sure that we put in the comments and the show notes, the link to Kim's book. Kim, I also just want to ask you, as someone who helps people do all of this and as an author several times over yourself, what is the best way for people to buy your book? Is Amazon good? Is another way better? So it depends on your goals for your book. Okay. For so if, okay. Okay. So for some people, if their goal is to just sell a lot on Amazon, just to get it out there and just find those readers on there. A lot of other people actually create their own book websites. They have their own book funnels, those types of things. And to be honest, for the most part, that's where you want to head. Now, my okay. book just launched recently. I've had some health things going on, so I don't have the book funnel yet. 
that's in the process in the next few months. So right now, the best way to get my book is on Amazon. Okay. Perfect. And if you put an author to authority and then put Kim or Kim Thompson Pinder, the book will show up. Fantastic. Kim, thank you so much for your time today. I've learned so much. I know there are so many people thinking about this. This has been such a great conversation. Would be thrilled to have you back. Maybe once this funnel is finished and we can have just a follow-up conversation mm -hmm. of what that process is like. But as someone who is currently working on a book for our business, I can tell you guys that I highly recommend this strategy. And Kim, the network that Kim and I are both in, the, our shared relationships, she definitely has my support and my trust for any of you who are interested in this. Kim, in addition to the book, is there any way, part on your website or next step people can take to connect with you one-to-one -one and, and see if it might make sense for you to work directly? Yeah, if you go, there's a couple of different ways. If you go to my website, authortoauthority.com, you can book a free 60 minute book discovery call with me. So if you've been thinking about writing a book and you just have questions or you want to know more about the process, I love giving away a free hour of my time. I will answer any and all questions that you have. Obviously, if I feel the fit is right, I'm going to offer to work with you. But the call is about answering your questions. So you can do that. You can Also, if you go on Facebook, I have my author to authority group. And you can also message me through that group as well. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you again so much, Kim. Thanks to all of you for tuning in live on the replay with the podcast. We'll see everyone next week on the Business Growth Advantage. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn